Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Then we started to share, and we started to talk about the cleaning business, got tons of questions. When you speak to people, they're always like, test the product to see if people even want it. And that's something that we did. We went on IG Live and told ourselves, we're going to say we have a course coming out. We didn't do the course yet. If we get 10 people to purchase at a landing page, we'll do the course. And that's exactly what we did. We tested the product in that moment on Instagram Live. And they were like, okay, people are interested in this. People want to know about this. And we continue to think about ways to provide mm -hmm. more to them. But another thing is just figuring out, like she said, what your audience wants. Mm -hmm. But you have to become, especially in this digital age, you should be able to teach someone something that you know, but you have to have a baseline understanding of it. So we didn't just get into the cleaning business after a year or take somebody else's course. We were in the business for three and a half years before we even thought about telling anyone how the hell to do this. You see somebody take a course or they do something once and they're like, I'm going to teach everybody how to do it. No, we were doing this for three and a half years before we even said we're going to start talking about what we're doing on a more deeper level. But I do feel like there's some experience or some knowledge or information that you could help someone just by telling your story. So I feel like if you have information that can help someone achieve a goal, that would be something that I would start with, especially in this digital age, helping people get to that end result. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. 
I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Anthony, Janilka, super excited to have you here. I feel like I have been watching y'all ascend to greatness, and I'm so excited to finally have you here on the show because you guys are doing what I think from an external viewpoint, people would be like, why the hell would you start a cleaning business? But it's so much more than what folks think from the outside looking in. And so I'm just super excited to have you here to talk about one of the many different ways that like y'all can create side hustles online. When we're thinking about entrepreneurship, I think a lot of people just get caught up in the weeds. They get caught up in the old school type of businesses that many of us saw growing up. And I think now with the power of the internet, there's like so many different ways to make money. And I'm super excited to dive into that with y'all tonight. So off with an introduction. I will let you decide who's going to do it on behalf of y'all, but tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Ladies first, ladies first, ladies first. So my name is Janoka. Uh, We're both born and raised from Brooklyn, New York, been living in Dallas, uh, Texas now for going on seven years, six and a half years now. Originally, my family is from Panama. Me and my cousins are first generation Americans. So a little different upbringing from him, even though we lived in the same exact building and our mothers actually still live in the same building in Brooklyn. So that's how we met. We've known each other for over 20 years. I am a mental health therapist, so I am licensed in New York and in Texas, and I currently still do work at my nine to five. And we paid off $114,000 of debt in 23 months by side hustling and raising our income. During that time, we started a cleaning business down here in Dallas, Texas, and that's a little bit about me and who we are. Uh, yeah, my name is Anthony Hartzog, and I was a former IT director in my previous life, as we, as we would say. I just left my nine to five about a year ago, so just celebrating the one-year resignation. I call it retirement of leaving my job, but now a full-time entrepreneur, brand-new father to Alani, who's 10 months old. And excited to be here and provide value to the audience. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I love that y'all grew up together, but I know before we started recording, Anthony, you mentioned that you guys probably had like polar opposite experiences with money growing up. And so I'd love to start off our conversation with your individual money stories and I'll let you start, Anthony. Tell us like what your experience was like with money growing up and what are some of the biggest traumas or or whatever the word you want to use? What are those things that really stuck with you that you found you've had to work through as an adult? Yeah. So with me, we both lived in a building. So I don't know if you guys are from the city, whoever's listening to this, mm-hmm. from the projects. And the projects is exactly what you hear about on TV, you listen to it in the radio, things like that. So we both grew up in the projects of New York City. And my biggest thing was growing up in order to get what I wanted, I needed to get a job. So I even worked as early as 10 years old, 12 years old, packing bags at the local grocery store. And it was no fault of my parents. You're like, listen, we got, I had two younger brothers. You know, my mom was working. My dad passed when I was a little bit earlier in my life. And she's like, listen, you want things you got to work for is I picked up a job at a local grocery store. And my first inclination of money was I had to work there for like two weeks and I saved enough money to buy a video game. Back then video games were fairly inexpensive. But that was my first experience. And I said, in order to get what I want, I have to work. And from there, I've been working my entire life from 10, 12 packing bags, which is extremely illegal. I feel like there's something wrong with that situation. Yeah, <laughs> but it was in my neighborhood. <laughs> and we were just packing bags. They, they, somebody just gives you like a little change in your yeah. jar. It wasn't anything where I'm making tens of thousands of dollars. Were working 40 hours. Yeah, it was like a little bit after school, a little bit on Saturday, just packing bags, helping old ladies to the car with their groceries, which was also very dangerous growing yeah. up too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was nothing great about that situation other than the fact that you were making a couple extra dollars. Yeah, so uh, that was my experience with, with money growing up. So I had to work and I was working from an early age. Okay, how about you, Janilka? And so for me, it was a little different. I'm an only child. My mother is a single mother. However, uh, she's a teacher, so she's been a teacher now for 28 years. So she was paid, well, you know, good enough. So we never, I don't feel like we ever had those conversations around, you need to work to make this money. It was more about like focus on school. So I would say my first real job came sophomore year of college. <laughs> so I did do some summer things once in a while, but nothing consistently when I was in high school. And so that's when... I guess money started to come up, but I never felt like I needed for more. So if I wanted something, my mother, you know, would be able to buy it. Like my dad was in my life, but he just, we just didn't live together. So there's certain things I could still get from my parents. So I never, you know, people say, well, you never wanted your own pocket money. I'm like, no, I never did. I I had, I had what I had and that was enough. (laughs) So it was definitely different, which he lived on the fourth floor and I lived on the sixth floor. And it's funny just how different our lives were living in the same exact building. Yeah, it's incredible just like the individual experiences that we can have as kids and how those tend to shape how we show up in the world when it comes to money. Now, y'all mentioned that you paid off $114,000, a little more than that, of debt. Explain to me how we got there. <laughs> before, if you <laughs> don't mind, so before we even get there, because what I'm about to say is going to shape that part of the conversation too. So you mentioned just how money can shape us growing up. So I had a big fear of not having money. And even to to this day- I was say you have, not have. have. I, not I said have. It. I said have. Had, I'm also have it to okay. this day. So that's a big fear of mine of not having money. Even, even as of this recording right now, I'm always thinking about what if, what if we don't have money? Because I always work for it. 
So when I stop going to my job, it's like, all right, I'm working for myself full time. But it's like, what if we don't have enough money? So that even carries on to our debt payoff story. So we got married in 2016, and that was May of 2016. And that December, we were doing our first Christmas where we're like, all right, we're getting everybody gifts, and we get everybody gifts. It was a great time. And January came around, and all those gifts were on credit cards. So January comes around, you pay off the last month's credit card bill, and we had to dive into our savings which we had plenty of, but to pay off that credit card, we had to dive into our savings. And that started a family conversation. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I had the conversation of wanting to save and travel more within that same year, 2017. And he was like, well, I don't think that we can do both. I think we probably need to focus on one. And that really changed our family trajectory because that's when he started listening to podcasts and different things of saying like, people are doing other things. People are paying off their debt. We can do the same thing. I was not on board. I was just was like, well, what's Definitely the rush? Not. I mean, you know, I am a therapist. So after 10 years, my, my debt will be paid off. There's no reason to rush this. We're paying our bills fine. But then I finally kind of came around and we kicked it off maybe February, March of 2017 of paying off our debt. And even to that note with the, the debt payoff, I don't think they extended it where you had to work a couple more years. And then even so, I think 80% of people- No, got, they still have a plan. 80% of people got declined. Yeah. That mm-hmm. actually applied for loan forgiveness. And, based off to, of, and it depends on what job you're at, too. Yeah, the public student loan forgiveness program has been notorious for just being like a scam of scams. I feel like now 2022 is when people actually started to see some traction with that. But it's also like, do you want to sit there and tolerate a job that's probably on the lower paying end and without this guarantee that like you're actually ever going to reach that finish line that so many people tried and did not get to? So you got to kind of weigh the pros and cons of that situation, right? And that's and that's exactly what happened because that was the conversation I had literally what you just said. 2000 and was it 18, 19 for you? Would have been 10 years? 18? Oh no, I would have still I would have still been in it right now. My 10 years wouldn't have been up yet. Oh, because you you switched Mm -hmm. jobs. Yeah, no, no, no. You see what happened? So there's so many I just graduated uh grad school 2012. So 2022. Yeah, it just have been maybe last year. So 2018 was the first, I think, graduating class of 2008 that had the 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that was the 80% that actually got declined. So 2022, we probably would have been declined as well, mm-hmm. trying to pay off this debt. So that was when we started having those fi- serious financial conversations when she finally came around. Yeah. So of that $114,000, what was it comprised of as far as like the types of debt? So 68,000 of that was my master's program. So what is that? More than half or right at the half mark was my master's program. Then we bought a new car when we moved down to Dallas and Infinity. That was about 30,000, I want to say. And then he had student loans from undergrad at about 22, 28,000. And the rest were credit cards, which I don't even think credit cards were over 6,000. I can't remember exactly, but that's what, so the bulk of it was student loans. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of folks can relate to that. And, you know, there's this kind of idea where you're just going to have to live with this. You don't need to pay it off, right? Especially if you've taken out loans in the past 10 years, they're probably like 3 4%. And a lot of people would argue that, you know, what's the point? I'm just going to die with these loans. So how did you all not fall victim to that mindset? Because I think a lot of people just have normalized the idea that we'll be in debt for the rest of our lives. And that's just what it is. And that's what happened to us too. We were getting a bunch of Especially when we paid it off, we got everyone who's a finance expert saying, "Well, if you would have took that hundred and fourteen thousand and invested in index funds by the age of sixty, sixty-five, you'd be millionaires." Well, we became millionaires at 
35. So it was like, yes, we could have invested that, which would have been fantastic, but we needed to know how to manage our own money. We didn't know that we could invest in the index funds and buy 65. It'd be great. But we were like, all right, if we manage our own money, manage our own pockets, let's focus on that first. So it was a lot of changing of our mindset, especially me. I had to get around the people who were doing it. I put myself in a lot of communities. Um, like again, I listen to a lot of podcasts, getting around people who were paying off debt or even talking about money in the way that I was and obviously bringing that back home. And So I was going to say that when you said, like, how did we make ourselves different? Things like this podcast, literally listening to stories of people at that time, not many people that looked like us in 2017, stories that we were listening mm-hmm. to and thinking, well, if they could do it and they make way less than us, then why can't we do it? That really changed and helped us podcast, really. Did y'all move to Texas because of the lower cost of living? Was that part of your debt payoff strategy or was that Absolutely just- Absolutely not. <laughs> it was a great Absolutely add-on, not. honestly. Yeah, it was. It was like, okay, good, but no. Because when we moved to Texas, you wasn't even thinking about debt. It was just, we moved down to Texas because of my job. So I was a manager in New York. We had a team in Dallas and I was coming down to Dallas a lot. And they offered me the role to manage a team here. And Janoka said no. And I said, it'd be great for us. And she said no. (laughs) So we got married May 2016 and then moved down here June 2016. And then started our debt payoff the next year. January 2017. So still as newlyweds in a new city where we knew new, no one. I think he had one friend out here. That's good for your social life perspective because you probably weren't spending a ton of money going out. Right. That's exactly. It's easier, to be honest. We say that if we stayed in New York, we don't think that our life would look like this now because we would have no reason to change. We're around family, friends, and like, I'm not missing that brunch to be at work. Like, I'm going to be there. Like, I'm not going to be doing these extra things. So, yeah. We had a lot of extra time to focus on our family, our marriage, and then also our finances too. So that was like, all right, how can we eliminate this debt as quickly as possible? Because we wasn't doing anything else. So let's talk about the strategies that you guys used in order to pay off this debt. First, how did you prioritize what you were going to pay off? And how did you actually fund this accelerated debt payoff journey? Was it enough to just do it with your your nine to five jobs or did you start a side hustle? So first thing we did was a lot of people don't even know how much debt they have. So (laughs) when we sat down after we got married, we put our finances together and it was literally $114,151. And it was like, that blew our mind. Yeah. You know you got debt laying out yeah. there. You know you got student loans. You know you got the car. But seeing it all together on paper was just like... Who does my, this belong to? Like, <laughs> I didn't come into marriage with that debt. Who did? Right. That sounds like something you see in a movie. Yeah. That number. So we sat down. And the first thing we did was put that on a paper. We looked at it. And we really had, like you said, we had a bunch of time in Dallas. So we used to work in New York. We worked nine to five. And then you're commuting home for an hour. And then you're decompressing. But in Dallas, we lived next to our job. Janoka worked from home. Yeah. We live right there near my job. So we were getting back 5, 10, 15 hours a week just from not commuting. So we picked up side jobs. We worked at uh, the gym. Yep. We worked at Equinox, the gym. We did that. And that was great for us. Free membership. And we enjoyed working out. So that mm-hmm. was like time spent together. So after work, we would go there. We also were was watching dogs. We got a dog when we moved down here. So we did uh, Rover, which is kind of like an Airbnb for dogs. And we don't like dogs. So I want to make that clear. We were doing things that we, we liked the gym, but we did not like dogs. Yeah, we had a dog. dog to socialize. Our dog couldn't socialize. And that I was worked the way. from home. It was just, 
it was good. Then we also put uh, the car that we bought, we put it on Toro, the platform where you rent out your car. Then, uh, like I said, I'm a mental health therapist, so I was doing private practice on the side for my nine to five. So that was extra income. And then we had started our cleaning business to help pay off the debt as well. So all of those things we were doing while maintaining both of us having our nine to five to pay off this debt. Okay, I know the first thing somebody's going to ask is like, how, where does one find the time to do all of this extra shit? I mean, at the time we didn't have any kids, you know, now we do, we didn't have any kids, so that helps. And then all of the side hustles were very flexible. So that is something that we maintained and make sure that it was something that we can cut off without a problem. It really didn't interfere with social life if we needed it to. So I was getting off work by 4 p.m. working at home. So I go to gym five to 10, three times a week or on Saturdays. Like that didn't take up too much of our time. The dogs were coming to our house. That's nothing. The cars being picked up and taken away. The private practice, I did have to go in. So that became a bit more taxing, but that's how we juggled it. And whenever it became to be like too much, we would not work those weekends or whatever the case may be. But also the people at the gym knew what we were doing. So the managers were flexible with us as well. As a part-timer, I think you have to do at least 15 to 20 hours. If we weren't able to, they would allow us 10. So they they knew our goals too. So speaking and letting people know what you want to do is helpful. Yeah. Making sure those things are, making sure your side hustles are flexible. That was literally the first thing she said. We're not going to be forced to show up anywhere or do things that we absolutely, I mean, we don't hate dogs, but we weren't forced to do anything. If we wanted to stop taking dogs that weekend, we just turn off the app. Like my car got paid off in a year. We turned up the app because I felt like, all right, it was too risky out there. So we were doing things that worked around our lifestyle outside our job. So I worked, I was a director. I got off of work at four. I got home 420 mm-hmm. and I'm at the gym by five o'clock. I get to eat a quick snack and go to the gym at five and she's there at five and we drive home together five to 10 o'clock. So yeah. everything that we did was extremely flexible around our regular lives. Yeah. Yeah, and I love the fact that y'all found ways to even incorporate the side hustling as a couple so that you're not just like spending 18, 19 hours a day just separated and you're not even seeing each other. So, yeah, that's one thing we prior, Janoka made sure we prioritize that too. She's like, listen, we're going to go on this journey together, but when we need to shut it off, we need to be able to shut it off. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of, we did that a lot. And that was very important for, especially in that first year of marriage. Like, all right, we're, we need to focus on each other, but. We knew we had a goal at hand. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the cleaning business. So tell me the origin story of that. What made you want to start that? And then we'll dive into kind of the logistics of what that looks like. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So again, back to podcasting. <laughs> if your audience doesn't know by now, listen to podcasts. And that's also why we started a podcast too, because <laughs> we're like, we got to get our stories out here and other people's stories too. So I was listening to a podcast and I heard, came across a story about a kid who was in college trying to pay off debt or try to make extra money. He started a cleaning business. This is back in 2017. And we knew we needed to do things that were extremely flexible for our life. 
So I hit this kid up on a Facebook Messenger, and I'm just pinging him questions about what he's doing. And he said that he wasn't cleaning houses. And I said, okay, got it. You started cleaning business, and you're not cleaning houses. How are you doing this? So I'm getting bits and pieces from Facebook, and I'm like, all right. I, I took half the story that I got from him. I made up my own half, and I brought it to Janoka. Like, yo, listen, we can do this. <laughs> and again, she was like, absolutely not. Because I'm like, well, first of all, the cleaning business was our first business ever. I think getting into paying off debt opened our eyes to other possibilities out there and stocks mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff. So it was our first business ever. We never even discussed opening a business, having a business, entrepreneurship, anything like this. I'm like, why would we do that? Like, what's the reason for that? What's the point? We're already paying off our debt. Like, We're let's just pace. take it easy. We have all these other side hustles. We don't need nothing else. That was kind of the conversation and the, and the thought process behind it. I realized with our ideas, we got a cleaning business, we got a virtual assistant business, we own rental properties, and we do some other things. Like, I have to bring the good, the bad, the ugly to her before we even start the conversation. So when I came back around, even with the Dallas move, I had to come back to her and say, all right, here's the pros of us moving, here's the cons, here's what we could do, here's what we can't do. We could go back to New York and visit family as often as you want. So when I brought the idea back around, it had more details around, all right, we're not going to clean. We're going to find people who help us clean. And here's how we're going to structure it. Here's what it could look like. And she eventually ended up coming around after all of that. So uh, that that's how it started. He heard a, on a podcast and brought it two times, and then we finally executed it. Got it. Okay. So the way that I'm envisioning this in my brain is almost like you guys are brokers, You find people who need their houses or whatever, something cleaned. You find a service provider and you are the bridge. Is that accurate? That's accurate. We are the Uber of cleaning business. So that's that's how we say exactly. So you use the app and you find, you know, we connect the contractors with the the clients basically. Okay. Yeah. And if you can't even. middleman. So think about all their service-based platforms right now. So you got the Uber the Lyft, the Airbnb, mm-hmm. even with Amazon, none of these companies own what the infrastructure they're talking about. So Uber doesn't have any taxis. Mm-hmm. Airbnb doesn't have any hotels. They are literally just a platform that matches people who need the, the service and people who are willing to provide the service. Um, and that's how we run our, our cleaning business. Mm-hmm. All right. So talk me through how you first started it, how you decided first how to package your offer how are you going to market yourself and where you're going to find people as clients? The main thing to remember about this is that this is our first business. So this is nothing to what we would do today. Five years later, we are just like winging it, to be honest. People say, oh, did you have a business plan? No. <laughs> you know, we barely got the LLC. We had somebody else, you know, somebody do the LLC for us, like that type of stuff. So we did market research as well. Like look at other cleaning businesses in the area. How much should we charge? What are the services that are people doing? Like what's a deep clean? What's a standard clean? So we had to kind of learn some of that information. Once we did that, we were ready to price ourselves, find someone to do the job. That was the biggest thing for us, finding people to do the job because we knew that we didn't want to to do it. So before we were marketing, we had to have somebody in place to do that. And so then we were marketing on places like, I don't know if you know what Thumbtack is, but similar to like Handy and Angie's List and all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. We were marketing on there where people are looking for specifically cleaning businesses. Eventually we went on to market on Google and Yelp and all these places, but uh, Thumbtack is where we started. And that's how we start to begin to build our clientele, get reoccurring clients and continue to hire contractors. Because that's that's the biggest thing in our business. 
finding good people to work for you. I think that's the biggest thing in any business, Mm -hmm. but that's the continuous thing that we always say that we do and suggest our students do as well. And your listeners may be like, why the hell the cleaning business? Again, we want to iterate. We don't have any background on cleaning. (laughs) We rarely even clean our own home. Even growing up, we weren't the ones that was well, growing up. I was scrubbing walls with my mother. Yeah. Let's be clear. <laughs> so we weren't getting paid to clean. There was no professional cleaning experience about us. Mm-hmm. And the main reason that we felt the cleaning business work was there wasn't a lot of capital to put into it. So you hear a lot of people talk about, all right, you want to start businesses, you need to get funding, ten thousand, five thousand. Like we start our business with like a thousand dollars. So remember, we were paying off debt. So it was like we can't afford to go put ten, twenty thousand dollars on a credit card to start a business or get a line of whatever yeah, it is. We weren't even using credit cards. Either. We weren't even using credit cards. So we couldn't get a loan out. We were like, all right, our goal is to pay off debt. So we can't go create more debt. So our goal was to start creating income as quickly as possible, but also as cheap as possible. So it was a very low cost startup. And worst case scenario was if it failed, it was only a thousand dollars that we put in. Um, five years later and a million dollars later, it's like, we happy we kept it going. Yeah. <laughs> That's the power of online entrepreneurship too. It's like such a low barrier to entry when it comes to money. So let's talk about that first thousand dollars. What did you spend it on? Yeah. So first thousand dollars was a lawyer to draft up a contract, mm-hmm. which now we know wasn't necessary. But Janoka was like, listen, we're going to do this. We got to do this 110% legit. Your basic branding. So your website, what else? Your LLC, what else? Or did you mean the thousand dollars that we received after? No, the like the first investment that you made into starting. Oh, investment. Investment. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. so branding, your website, your logo. Now we know, all right, you could have created the logo on Canva for free. You could have got a theme online for like $50. This is the stuff we talk about now. But back then, we had to pay for the logo, the lawyer, the website. What else? Hiring platform. And leads, generating leads. And generating leads. So those are the biggest expenses when we first started. Okay. And from the moment that you, let's say, turned on the business to making your first dollar, what was that timeline like? A day. (laughs) Yeah, we went live on Christmas Day, Christmas, sorry, Thanksgiving Day in 2017. And then Black Friday, we had our first client. We started the actual, (laughs) that whole process that I just mentioned in October. So from October to November... The things you don't have to worry about is you got to worry about your colors, you got to worry about your logo, <laughs> your website doesn't have to be perfect. So we spent four weeks trying to perfect everything, and we said, "Listen, we just got to turn this website on." Mm-hmm. So that fourth week, we turned the website on and got our client the next day. The next day. Wow, that's incredible. It, I think it. Your story definitely speaks to the power of just intentional action and just like not getting bogged down in a lot of the nonsense that new entrepreneurs do, like obsessing about the damn logo or the website. It's just like, yo, let's start making some money. You know, you can refine this later. And I think that's such an important thing to remind yourself of if you're new on this journey. Yeah, that was. We say that now, but when we first started, we were definitely focused. We were, yeah, we were focused on the wrong. We put the name out to the family, and we had them vote. What do you think and... about this? What do you think about that? No one cares. I swear. We really had our family voting, and I don't think that color is gonna go. And now we're like, none of these people got businesses. Why were we even asking that? <laughs> but no one like, even calls you and say, "I love your logo. I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend all my money no, with you." Not I'll, for this business. There no. may be some that matter, but not for this business. So you're spending a bunch of time on things that don't matter where you could just turn it on and start making money. So that was that was one thing I would definitely recommend to people. Just get started. Yeah. 
All right. So give us some perspective on what you guys have been able to accomplish with this business since starting it. Like what has the income looked like year over year? How have you optimized your operations versus how you first started? Give us kind of a behind the scenes view of what it's been like to scale. Yeah. So the hardest part about scaling was finding good people. Our first story was we hired a contractor and like Janoka said, we're finding and we're working with mom and pop shops who don't have any online presence. They're like, all right, you guys are good at marketing. I just have a cleaning business. How can we work together? How can you get me more clients? So we're finding people like that. But our first contractor bailed on us. She was like, I don't want to do this. I'm out. She had got she to argue with her husband or something like that. And us being new entrepreneurs, I'm like, I'm at work. And she bailed. And she's like, I'm crying on the side of the road because my husband just left me. It had nothing to do with us. It was just them. And I'm like, I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to go pick her up, make sure she's okay. I'm like, and Janoka was like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. What are you going to do? That's her business. Like, we're not a marriage consulting business. It's a cleaning business. Yeah. So that was our first That was our first uh, headache in the business. We ended up, uh, once we were done with our jobs, we ended up going to do it. But out of three, 4,000 jobs, we've only done two of them. And no, three of them. And that was only because I wanted to try it out and see how it went. But that's not something we do. So we did not. Janoka didn't want to do it. So... <laughs> When we first started, when we first handled that versus the way we handle something like that now is completely different. And, you know, I know you asked about just over year over year during the pandemic, things definitely kind of plateaued. However, the cleaning business was seen as a necessity during that time because everybody, I don't nobody knew what was happening, but they wanted something done. So we still were able to maintain the business. And now we've grown it to the point where we have virtual assistants. We've gone to the part we have an operations manager so that we meet with the operations manager once a week for an hour. We're not as involved. But let's be very clear. We kind of just got the operations manager in place February of last year because our daughter was going to be born or due date of March 1st. So we were like, okay, we must do this. All the time we kept saying we would, Mm -hmm. but we're like, no, we must hand this over to someone. And we trained her and put her in place, and, and it's been going uh, really well. And last year, we had our biggest year at about 650000 in revenue. What was it like the first year? The first year was like seventy five, seventy five thousand, wow. which is amazing because our students are doing 200000 and 100000 They're like crushing it. But it was about 75000 that first year. And eight months into it, we were ready to quit. <laughs> Really? Okay. So let's talk about that because, you know, to be able to have that level of financial success with a new business, I mean, that's an incredible feat, but I can imagine that you guys did not have, like you mentioned, the operations in place that you have now. So you were doing all this stuff and also balancing the nine to five. Uh, Did did that have anything to do with the (laughs) burnout you were experiencing? I think that and comparing ourselves as well. Because we were in a group where we were around people that started around the same time as us. And they're like, and we're like, oh my God, this person is doing $10,000 a month and all this type of stuff. Why aren't we doing that? Like, what are we doing Mm -hmm. wrong? So that in the comparison. But then when we speak to some of them, they're like, oh no, I'm not doing well. Like I'm burning out. I'm ending up in the hospital. I'm putting too much time into it, right? So we always talk about comparing yourself. You really never know what's going on, but that, and then at one point we started to feel like, is it even worth it? Right. Cause it, it felt like negative after negative thing, a negative review or someone not showing up. So that was the feeling we were having. And he was like, well, I think we should do it for at least a year. And then if it really is, you know, not working out, we can just move, move on from it. 
and that's what we that's the mindset we take with anything we start now is like mm-hmm. all right how much time are you willing willing to put into it long term i know everyone wants a quick fix especially i feel the same way all the time too i see, we compare ourselves to other people and you see the entrepreneurs oh, i got my first 10k month but are you willing to at least go a year now we say two to three years to do anything to figure out if you really want to do it because soon as you quit Mm-hmm. That month that we were going to quit, we went down we to like four thousand in revenue. Our next month, we did eight to ten thousand, like immediately after. So we would have quit yeah. at that eighth month. We would have not never got to the tenth month, and it could have been the season. Like we, it, like you said, we're a year into this, so we really don't even know. You don't even know your business that right. You don't even you don't even know your business yet, and yeah. it was important for us. The other thing was that we weren't losing money too. So. so when we hit that eight to ten thousand dollar month, and it was like, all right, we finally felt some traction. We were able to focus more on the growth of the business. Like, all right, we don't have to do what other people are doing. You survived that first year. It probably won't get much worse than that because you, like Janoka said, you see the seasonality of the business. You're like, all right, we knew we didn't know that. What happens in the summer during the cleaning business? People are traveling. They are not home. They don't need their homes clean. But we didn't know that until we went to the through the first year. So us coming back around and realizing that why we had our lowest month was because of the seasonality of the business. So now we know what to do, what to focus on during those slow months so that we can continue to grow the business. Right. I mean, my head goes immediately to start targeting short-term rentals, the Airbnb business. We didn't know that. <laughs> no, that's exactly what you should do. That's, those are some things that can help you go. But that first year, you're just looking at the revenue the month after month, and it was like, what do we do? We're we're not we're gonna actually it was a bunch of headaches. Remember, we're at our nine to five. So clients are calling us. We didn't have a virtual assistant team. We didn't have people answering the phones, but we felt like nobody could do it as good as us, as new entrepreneurs. And these calls are coming to our phone, text messages coming to our phone. So we really focused on you mentioned like how do we grow year after year? So after that first year we made it, we're like, all right, let's get a team in place just to answer the phones. Like it doesn't cost much. You could pay five to ten dollars an hour to someone just to pick up their phones. And all they're doing is taking messages until you learn what you need to do as the next step. So those are just some things we experienced that first year where we said, all right, we, we recovered from the slow, the slow months. Now let's focus on the growth of the business. That grind season is what makes or breaks entrepreneurs, right? It's that beginning experimentation phase where you're literally just figuring out what works. And once you do, you can start to double down on that. But you, like you mentioned, Anthony, you have to give yourself enough time to actually figure that stuff out before quitting. Okay, so what's been the hardest part of this journey, right? Because I feel like for a lot of folks, they're sold this idea that entrepreneurship is super sexy. It's always fun. It's magical. You get to live your best life and accomplish all your dreams. But we all know it's not always like that. So whether it's from an actual like incident that happened with the business or like mindset stuff that has started to come up for you as you've started to embody this, but both of you can share what's been kind of the hardest thing that you've had to navigate through during this process. You saw me roll my eyes when you said it, if you're entrepreneurship <laughs> is sexy, because I don't know who's lying to everybody out there. I think everybody's um, lying to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think that with entrepreneurship, the difference, well, it depends on your job, but like your nine to five, usually when it's done, it's done. It stays there. Entrepreneurship, it does not end. And especially with the, at least the space that we're in, content is so big and everything is content. And it's like, when does it end? When do I stop recording? When do I stop talking about the business? When do I stop? So having those hard stops was important for us in our relationship as well. So I think that that's something to navigate 
when it comes to entrepreneurship because you can just be in it. You know how they say you, you quit your your 40 hour job to work 80 hours, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if people really understand. Yeah, maybe I'm mean not sitting at my desk for eight hours straight, but there's still a lot of work that goes into it for me to show up. You're thinking I'm just on IG Live, but I had to make sure I put my baby down 15 minutes before to make sure that I'm here. All these things, cameras perfect, you know, all these things that you you aren't seeing. So that's what I would say is kind of the difficulty of knowing like when to cut it off and separate that. And then going back to that, that financial trauma or money trauma or just, just thoughts, negative thoughts is like, again, I'm always thinking about money. Money is finite. It is eventually going to run out. It's not infinite, but getting in this entrepreneurship space, I'm always thinking about the next thing that's going to create income. How can I make sure my, my family is good? I left my job. It's like, am I crazy? Like we, we, we had pretty high incomes or I was making about 125 at my nine to five. So when I left my job, it's like, are you freaking nuts to focus on a cleaning Mm. business that you don't know will be here and to focus on these other things. And it's always a constant up and down seesaw right now. People are talking about recessions or people are spending less money. Are they going to focus on less cleaning services? Mm -hmm. And what do you need to, how do you pivot in your business? So those are some of the challenges and realizing that there's going to be seesaw months. You're not a five. You may stay at 5K a month or 10K or whatever it is a month, but entrepreneurship, I don't know if people (laughs) are making it, but just being mindful that in entrepreneurship, you might have a, a good 50K month and the next month you may have three. You can't live every month as if you're making 50,000, 40, or even 10. You have to live on a base average for the last three to six months, whatever that is. And also, sometimes you may have to live below your means, which I know a lot of people aren't accustomed to, especially in this day or age. So, according to the stats on Black Friday, we spent a lot. So, I don't know what recession is happening because <laughs> people yeah. are spending. I mean, everybody's just putting it on credit, I feel like, at this point. They're just like, <laughs> yeah. you know what? We'll figure this out later. Yeah, probably. And, uh, you know, that's um, that's unfortunate. But I think, you know, one of the things that I love about what y'all are doing, and I always, always encourage entrepreneurs to do this, because I see a lot of folks replicating the whole idea of just having the single income source through their business. And y'all are not doing that. You know, you have your cleaning business. Now you are teaching this through a digital program. I'm sure you have different ways of making money beyond that. So tell us a little bit about how you've diversified your income as entrepreneurs as time has gone on. I think with just being like talking about our story has helped us to diversify because originally we were talking about our debt payout story on social media, primarily Instagram. But at that time, I still didn't want to share because I'm like, I don't want people in my business. So I don't really want to share what's happened. That could be a Brooklyn mindset. I don't know. I don't want to share what was really happening or anything like that. But then we started to share and we started to talk about the cleaning business, got tons of questions. When you speak to people, they're always like, test, test the product to see if people even want it. And that's something that we did. We went on IG Live and told ourselves, if you know, we're going to say that we have a product, we're going to say we have a course coming out. We didn't do the course yet. If we get 10 people to purchase at a landing page, we'll, we'll do the course. And that's exactly what we did. We tested the product in that moment on, on Instagram Live. And they were like, okay, people are interested in this. People want to know about this. And as we started to put it out there more, they were like, okay, they want more. They want a community. Let's make sure that we provide that. And we continue to think about ways to provide mm-hmm. more to them. Maybe it's at the base level, maybe it's at a higher level, and we continue to do that. But another thing is just figuring out, like she said, what your audience wants. Mm-hmm. And But you have to become, especially in this digital age, I feel like you should be, you should be able to teach someone something that you know 
but you have to have a baseline understanding of it. So we didn't just get into the cleaning business after a year or take somebody else's course. We were in the business for three and a half years before we even thought about telling anyone what how the hell to do this. You you see somebody take a course or they, they do something once and they're like, all right, I'm going to teach everybody how to do it. No, we were doing this for three, three and a half years before we even said we're going to start talking about what we're doing on a more uh, deeper level. But I do feel like there's some experience or some knowledge or or information that you could help someone just by telling your story. So I have friends who, who work out. I'm like, all right, I need to know how you work out so consistently. I need to know what your eating habits are. I need to know if you're a barber, how do people cut during the pandemic? I was telling my barber, I don't want to go on YouTube. Can't you show me how to do this online? Where I can cut my own hair. How much can I pay you? So I don't have to go on YouTube with a mirror and learn how to cut my own hair. 50 people pay to see which one is cutting it. My barber knows how to cut my hair. So I need to be able to come to you online to do this. So I feel like if you have information that can help someone achieve a goal, that would be something that I would start with, especially in this digital age, helping people get to that, that end result. I absolutely love that. Yeah. It's just, um, you got to get creative with the real assets that you have. And and knowledge is a huge asset that I think a lot of people undervalue. And I think part of that is just a symptom of, you know, corporate America and this per dollar hour price that you put on people's skills. I feel like it makes people feel very insignificant about what it is that they know. So it just requires a huge mindset shift of really understanding like, if someone was to learn this from me, like how would this impact not just the day, the month that they learn it, but like the rest of their lives and really putting a price tag on that, that, that reflects that value. Yeah. One of my friends, he, his goal, he, he was doing surveys and I said, yo, if you could teach somebody how to get money in surveys, then you could create income from that. So the first month he was like, oh, I think I'm not doing it. And he ended up creating a platform that helped people get into surveys and make money from surveys. And I think by month two, his survey group had did like 15, 20,000. And he was able to make an extra 10,000 outside of his nine to five just by putting the information out there. He was, I don't think anybody wants to learn how to do surveys. I'm like, you're making money from home, eating cakes or, or trying to soda or a game or something. <laughs> I did a survey that paid me $200 to play a video game and they let me keep the video game. I was like, this is something that people would love to know about. So that skill, just helping somebody get to that end result, whatever you're doing is, is, I feel like it's intangible at times. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So I love closing out the episodes with some mindset tips because we all know, you know, as people of color, we are really paving the path to what wealth looks like, what financial freedom looks like. It's, it's a lot to navigate. And I know, you know, if you're like me, you've had these feelings of imposter syndrome and doubt and my God, like I am the backup plan. This can't fail. And some of that can be really hard to navigate. So what are your tips for dealing with the mindset stuff that comes up when you are paving these uncharted paths? So for me, it would be, I think saying it out loud, like I'll tell Janoka and part of it could be her being a therapist, but I, the other day I said, I'm just feeling stressed right now. I just feel like there's a lot of pressure on me mm-hmm. as a husband to create income for the family consistently. And she said, all right, take a break, go for a walk. <laughs> and believe it or not, just me getting out of my own head. She's like, put the phone down. Don't check emails. Don't check any of the businesses. Just go for a walk. And I'm walking and I'm on, I, I pick up my phone. I'm on IG. I go to a DM and she texts me. It was like, get out Instagram. Because he responded. I'm like, you're on a you're on a break. What are you doing? <laughs> so sometimes it just takes you getting out your own head by getting away from what stresses you out. So um, I would think that's that's something that I'm still working on even to this day 
is getting out my getting out my own head and just getting away for a little bit. So I put on my calendar every day, take a two o'clock walk. Cause I used to do this at my job, and it's like, why don't I do it now that I work for myself? Mm-hmm. So two o'clock on my calendar every single day, I go for a walk around the block, get some fresh air, get away from the monotonous, the monotonous task of just being in front of my computer all day. And that's that's something I would recommend for anyone. If you got a nine to five, if you work job, if you're an entrepreneur, just getting away for a little bit. Two things I think it's kind of like just do it and writing it down. I'm big on writing it down. Like you can't see it here, but we have two whiteboards. Well, we write it down or we put it on our calendar. Once it's written down, it's real. Like it's happening. And so that's a big that's a big thing for me and kind of just doing it. I'm also speaking for from a space of being in this in for the past five years. When we first started, I'm all like, oh no, this has to happen. This has to happen. And now I'm like, just put it out there because when we started and we were putting it out there, it was working, right? Now we're deeper in the business and we're thinking it has to be perfect or I need to make sure it can't look like this. And I'm like, it's fine. It's okay. So just doing it and writing it down, I would say um, has been tremendous for us to kind of get things done and get get out of our head as well. And another thing with mindset is getting around people who are in the space that you are you are in so that you know that you're not alone. You're not the only one who has had a bad month. You're not the only one who's bad had a quarter, bad, bad quarter. quarter. <laughs> you're not the only one where you got into an argument with your wife. So it doesn't have to be entrepreneurship. It's getting around like-minded people who may be experiencing what you're experiencing. So those accountability groups or any other entrepreneurship or family mentorship group, whatever you can find when people are doing similar things, I say get around it. Absolutely. And get yourself a therapist. I always tell entrepreneurs like, please, that needs to be part of your team because you will be confronting every single limiting belief you've ever had in your life as an entrepreneur. And you will be so outside of your comfort zone that it's not easy. So the the power of community, the power of just understanding that like you are not alone, I think is super powerful. So thank you for mentioning that. Okay. I know folks are going to want to find out so much more about you, the podcast, the course, your actual like cleaning uh, business. Like, so tell us all the things, where can we find you? So we refer most of you to Herzog Hustle podcast. That's um, you can find us on all streaming platforms. Also for YouTube and Instagram will be the Hartrimony, which is the H-A-R-T-R-I-M-O-N-Y. And those are the places where you can find us. Google, if you type in the word Hartzog, we should be at least the only black up there, top five or something. <laughs> you type in the word hard czar, our last name. We should be up there somewhere. I love it. And we'll make sure to include all of your links in the episode show notes so that folks can go ahead and follow you and find out more about the incredible things that you're doing. I want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your incredibly inspiring story. And you know what I love most about what y'all are doing? You didn't just create this little empire for you to go and just like enjoy the fruits of your labor. You've actually decided to get out there and share the wealth of knowledge that you have acquired so that other people can replicate and maybe even exceed your level of success. And I think that's when you know that you're doing things for the right reasons as an entrepreneur, because it's not just about you. It's about the legacy and that lasting impact that you're going to create by sharing all of what you've picked up along your way. So thank you for, for doing that. Yeah, no problem. The more impact you have on others, the more income you'll have yourself. So (laughs) there you go. Big facts. (laughs) Thank you guys for being here. All right. Thank you. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. To find out if it's right for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.